0: Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Good morning. So good to be here. Can't believe next week is the birthday. Oh, I tell you, I feel like that year has just gone like that in terms of how quickly the, you know, the whole changeover happened and here we are and it's just amazing. Uh, my name's Derek. For those of us that haven't met, I'm the executive pastor at Gateway Baptist Church and if we haven't met, it's uh, really great that you'd be in church today. Thank you for being part of this church family here. I, I just know that God is doing amazing things in this community, uh, but he is yet to do all that he's going to do. There are more things that he is doing. There are greater things that he is going to do. And uh, we've only just begun to see the start of what he is going to do to see lives transformed in this area. And speaking of lives transformed, I just want to add my just awesomeness. Look at this Morris couple down here cuddling at the front. Looks so good. I, I'm just, I, have you signed your name, Courtney, like about a thousand times? You know, Courtney Morris, Courtney Morris. Have Don't have a signature? <laughs> oh, no. Isn't that the thing you do? When you first get married, you just sign your name a hundred times, ladies. Is that what you did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did, didn't you? You did, yeah. yeah. Anyway, welcome. Great to see you in church. There's nothing keener than a married couple three days later being in church after their wedding. I think it's a good sign. Um, look, it's, uh, it's this morning we're starting a new series called Encounter. And uh, essentially, as we start this series, we are We are focusing on the life and the power of Jesus. Because at the end of the day, the thing that changes your life, the encounter that will most affect your life, will be a real and authentic encounter with Jesus Christ. Not the God of religion, not the what other people say about Jesus, not the plaque on the back of your toilet door, not the pithy statements in the words that sit on your coffee table, but a real and genuine and powerful encounter with the man, the person, the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ. And he offers that this morning. As we come here today, we're not coming just through some religious observance. We're not coming here today to tick a box to make God happy. Today we come because our hearts desire to connect with the people of God around us but also to stand in that family and worship the King of Kings because he is a real and personal friend. He is a real and personal saviour. He is a real and personal God that wants to make himself known to you. His presence can be felt. His power is real. And he is someone that wants to break into the world that you're in and help you with your life. Jesus absolutely cares about you. Jesus profoundly cares about the walk that you're on. And Jesus wants to teach us the ways of his kingdom so that we can know how to connect with him in more meaningful ways. And so he takes us as we are whether we know anything about God this morning, whether we know a whole bunch of things about God this morning, it really doesn't matter. At the end of the day, Jesus says, come as you are, just with all that you have, any hang-ups you have, any rejoicing that you have, any problems that you have, the past that you have, as you are, come as you are, and I I will receive you. But he doesn't want to leave us where he takes us. He wants to take us from where we are, and he wants to move us to somewhere else. And the way he does that is he shows us his kingdom. In his kingdom is the power of transformation. And so this morning, we're going to look at how encountering Jesus, our lives can be changed. And there's a a scriptural text I'd like to use. If you've got your Bible, please go to Mark 5 and verse 25. Mark 5 and verse 25. If you don't have that, uh, the words will come up on the screen for you to see. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see a multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him. And told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word this morning, Father, we come as humble servants of yours. Father, we come as people who need to hear always from the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so this morning, we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would take the words of truth and that you would so powerfully bring them alive inside our heart, God, that you would cause change to happen, Father, where we thought change was not possible, God, that you would give us ideas for breakthrough, you would give us strategies in your kingdom, that God would help us from this point forward to live for you, powerfully live for you, God, I pray for every person here Under the sound of my voice, Father, let them hear from you this morning more than anyone else. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're reading a story about a woman who'd suffered for a very long time. You know, if you've ever suffered, one month is an uncomfortable time to suffer. One year with the same affliction is more than uncomfortable. It becomes distressing and concerning. Twelve years... It's not only become a hardship now, potentially it's become a way of life. And if you've ever suffered for a long time with something, you'll know that people care for you in the early days. But after a while, life moves on. The world turns again and people go on with their lives and though their hearts care, they have so many other things that preoccupy their time. And so... The world moves on, but yet you're still there with your pain. That's true for many thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people around the world today who suffer with affliction of some sort, whether that's a physical affliction, whether it's a mental affliction, emotional affliction. They find themselves in a place of isolation. This woman was in the place of isolation. And it's probably hard for me to convey to us in this Western society, this time where we've seen the rise of the, of the place of, the, of women in society into a place of, of great standing, a place of the equal opportunity in many ways. And though I'm not saying that journey has been completed, we don't understand what it's like to wind back the clock 2,000 years to really put ourselves in a place of what it was to be a woman in that society. If you were a woman then, you were considered the property of your husband. You were ranked in the law alongside his ox and his donkey. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not particularly encouraging to hear, I think, if you're a woman this morning. She's, you ranked after his children in the level of importance according to the law of the society. You're not mentioned at all in the lineage of your family whenever your family tree is being spoken of. If you were injured at any time, you were rated as a damage to property and compensation was received by the male on your behalf. You could be disposed or belong with any other unwanted assets as part of an estate that was being wound up. And your future security was bound up in the loyalty of your children's mercy because when your husband passed on, only your children's favor kept you, kept, you were kept safe and secure. And so this woman's affliction caused her to have less social standing than that. And so She was an outcast in her community. She was unclean. She had an issue of blood, and the law clearly said that anywhere that she stood, anything she sat on, anything that she touched in any way would be considered unclean and would have to be separated for seven days before it could then be brought back into the community. And so therefore, in the flow of commerce and economics within any community, no one could afford to be put out of the community for seven days, so they just stopped touching you. And so this woman had been afflicted with this particular condition for so long now that she would have lost all connection whatsoever with the people around her. She would have not lived with her family and friends for 12 years. She would not have held her children or grandchildren for all that time. She'd not felt the warmth of her husband's affection. She wouldn't have shared a meal with her extended family. She would have been outside of temple life. She wouldn't have been able to be part of the sacrifice. She wouldn't have been part of the Sabbath meal. She wouldn't have been part of any of the regular seasonal feasts, offerings or sacrifice of the community. She was literally and utterly for 12 years living in isolation. Now, we've all been lonely, but I think living in isolation in this way, where the community intentionally walks the other way and shouts at you unclean, is something we've never experienced. Long-term illness will do this to you. Your world retracts, it reduces, it shrinks, and it isolates. About a year into me coming to uh, Gateway as pastor, uh, I went to jump on stage to lead communion uh, one Sunday morning. And as I jumped up on stage, my heart flipped into this crazy, irregular electrical beat, and it was very unnerving. I didn't black out, but I kind of got very dizzy. It was very very unsettling, and I managed to get off the stage because people were coming to receive their communion goblet glasses, but, so they were occupied. So I managed to shrink off stage, grab Jason, sit in the front row as I was huffing and puffing to try and get a breath. He said, what's wrong? I couldn't even tell him what was wrong, but he went up to lead communion. I went outside as I was walking up towards the car park trying to get my breath back, wondering what on earth is going on with me. My heart flipped back into beat again, and I was okay. And so I began a physical journey. I got it all fixed up, and that was sort of the easy part. The challenge was my mind. My mind latched onto my heartbeat as an awareness. And every time... I would go to get up on stage again to preach, which was the very calling of God that he had for me, I would feel this overwhelming sense of anxiety because I thought, what if it happens again? Even though the medical professionals had told me it's not going to happen, it's all been dealt with, I thought, yeah, that's okay for you, but all I can feel is my heartbeat because, of course, when you get up to speak at any time, if you've ever done it, you're just a little bit aware of your own nervous energy. And so here I am, and I found myself becoming isolated in my own anxiety because I had a job to do. I had a ministry to perform, and on the other hand, I had this growing anxiety about how on earth I would get past this thing. If you were to read my journal for a couple of years, I would write almost every fourth morning I was spending time with Jesus. I'd say, God, how long will I have to suffer with this? I tried different things. I tried everything I thought of to distract myself, and I, I just couldn't. And yet, the level of anxiety kept coming up and up and up. There was one particular morning I was sitting with the Lord. It was early one morning at the office. And without a word of a lie, as I'm telling you this story, it's as real, as true as, as anything I've ever known. I know what the presence of God is like, but I can tell you, Jesus walked into the room. And it was very different to just the presence of God, it was Jesus. I could just tell there was just a, a holy awe that came into the room. And I felt him say to me, Ask me the question that you want to ask. I've looked back on that moment for a minute many times, and it's interesting in the Gospels, Jesus always said to those who came to them, What is it you want from me? So I wondered, it was, at the time, I didn't think anything of it. I, so I said to him, Jesus, how can I be free? And he said just this to me and only this. It has to do with you. Now, that may seem like a mystery to you, but to me, it was an absolute puzzle unraveler. I thought the devil was trying to steal my calling. He probably was trying to do that too. But there were some other things taking place. I thought it was all external. Jesus said, no, it has to do with you. It's you. It's inside you. You've got to fix that. And so that started a whole new way of thinking. I started to believe that God God heard me. He was with me. He was giving me a key to how to get free inside. And of course, from there on in, it's become a wonderful journey. And I can stand before you and say, I'm free. God has set me free. God has shown me the keys to be free. But can I tell you, the turning point for me was an encounter with Jesus. It was an encounter with Jesus. The key to me, the key to you, the key to your freedom, the key to your future, lies in the heart of God. He knows exactly the thing that you need to hear from him in order to walk free of whatever the thing is that you found yourself in. And I'm convinced of this this morning, not from an abstract idea, but because we've all got a living, breathing testimony of how Jesus has done that for each one of us. When I look at this woman's story, one of the biggest miracles that I see in her life is that hope was still alive inside her for her answer 12 years later. Hope was still alive. She said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made well. If I could just touch it. See, that tells me that she hadn't allowed bitterness or offense to come around her heart. Inside this woman, there was still a sense of hope that she could be well. Something inside. If she wasn't in that place, she wouldn't have even been able to receive the idea that healing was possible. She would have said, that's it, I'm done. My life is what it is. I will stay in my isolation and I will will feel trapped. If anyone had a reason to be bitter and offended with God, perhaps it was this woman. But her heart was soft. The hope that things could be different had not died within her. You know, hope makes room for your miracle. Hope makes room for your miracle, but offense shuts down hope. Offense closes down the opportunity of you receiving the revelation from God, the understanding from God of how He is dealing with this at the moment and what He's doing to help you move through it. When we get offended, and it's easy to become offended with God because our pain is real. What we're feeling is real. The situation we have is real. And we cry out to God and we say, God, don't you care? And the cry is real. At some point, the cry becomes gut level real and we say, God. And sometimes our question becomes anger and anger becomes offense. And we blame God. Our quest For answers can lead us to a rejection of mystery. See, mystery is often treated as something that's intolerable. But living with mystery is the privilege of our walk with Christ. If I understand everything in my Christian life, then I have an inferior Christian life. If I understand it all, faith is living according to the revelation I have received in the midst of the mysteries I can't explain. It's living with the faith I have received, the revelation of what God's shown me, next to the mystery of what I can't explain. And I live in the middle of that, and you live in the middle of that all the time because we serve a God of infinite intelligence, infinite power, and if you fully understand him, then you've reduced him to a small size. You could never understand him. That's why Christianity is called faith. Faith. An intellectual gospel creates a God that looks like us. It fits us. It's it's a God of our size. But faith seeks a God despite the contradictions we see in the mystery. Can I say that again? Faith will seek a God despite the contradictions that we see. And somehow or other, faith is able to hold the hope that tomorrow can change in, in that tension of the mystery. Folks, this morning, only God can help you do that, though. Because left to ourselves as human beings, we want to lay blame, we want to put that at someone's feet, and we want to say that's the fault. And we want fault to lie somewhere. If we embrace revelation with one hand and mystery with the other, are we not forming a perfect cross? Are we not living the crucified life? Is that what the crucified life looks like? I live in the tension of the two. I know something about God. You know something about God. I walk with God. You have walk with God. But I don't know a whole bunch about God. The challenge is to bring our expectation up to the standard of God's word and keep it there despite the circumstances. The infinite of God will always challenge the finiteness of your logic. But see, Jesus is the logos. He is the word, the logic. Everything makes sense in Jesus. Jesus can make everything make sense. In him, everything exists. And in him, everything makes sense. My daughter, Abby, and I think I have a video on the screen somewhere there that will come up, is sitting in the front row. And she's just going to love the fact that I'm doing this this morning. But look at that kid, would you? (laughs) Look Look at that kid. Oh, what a kid. They're all great kids, but what a kid. When she was that age and a little younger, and I think I've told this story a little bit. I'm going to be quick on the story. I want to get to the point. But is we, um, she was very sick one day, and we had my hands on her stomach, and I could feel her heart racing. We got her to the hospital. Her heart was doing 300 beats a minute. And they said to us, uh, that's not good. For a start, you can't have a heart beating at 300 beats a minute. So the diagnosis for us was to take her, she was six months old, and we had to take her, bind her up in a towel, put her upside down in a bucket of slurry water, cold ice water, dunk her in up to her chest and hold her under for 10 seconds and the cold shock would put her heart back into beat again. Oh, sounds very easy, except you're doing it to your child who feels like you're drowning them. And so we did this from six months to probably close on, you know, just 18 months or getting up towards two years. And I remember once she was probably around that age when she could talk and we were putting her onto the end of the laundry where we went so the other kids couldn't see what we were doing. And (laughs) (laughs) this is what we do to discipline our kids around here. (laughs) You do what dad says or you're on the (laughs) We're wrapping her up and she says to us, she says, Daddy, don't do it. I'll be good. And it just about broke our heart. Anyway, we, that day we prayed for her and we said, God, please. We cried out to God. God, please heal this woman, this girl. And as we laid hands on her, we had a heart machine that we'd put her on just to track what her heart was doing. And as we put our hands on her and laid hands on her... We were about to dunk her again, and Rochelle said, no, before we do, just check the heart machine one more time. We checked, and the heart had come right back into beat. Can I tell you, from that moment on, we never had to do it again after we prayed for her. Now, here's the point of the story, though. When she got to 12 or 13, it started again. Now, it's easy to say to God, what's going on, God? We had all that time where nothing... We, we, we had a miracle from God. In fact, I used to stand as I was preaching and tell people about this amazing miracle because it was such a gut-wrenching thing to do. It was so great not to have to do it anymore. And yet it all started up again. And then we went through the process. Uh, lots of stories to tell, but went through the process medically. And she had the ablation, similar to what I had. And she's fine and she's never had an episode since. But we went through the medical procedure and she got healed. Now, you can spend your whole life trying to work that out. Or you can sit in the mystery and say, God, the miracle was real, the reoccurrence was real, and the healing is still real. I, I can't explain it to you. I'm not standing here today saying, yeah, I totally get it. But what I know is this, Jesus heals. I've seen him do it. I've watched him do it. I've felt him do it. I've experienced it personally. I've seen it in the lives of my loved ones. I've seen it in the ones that I know. I've seen him do it. So I know that Jesus Christ will heal. But there are always two realities at work when we are seeking God. There was Jesus who stood in the midst of the crowd and said, who touched me? And then there's the crowd that's saying, what do you mean who touched you? Everyone's touching you. Do you see there's two realities? One, there is a spiritual dimension where power is transferring from Jesus into your life for those that are touching him by faith. And then there's a whole bunch of other people that are standing proximal to Jesus. They're touching Jesus. They're around Jesus. They may even sing in the songs to Jesus, but there's no power flowing. And there's always those two groups. I don't know who else was in the crowd who tried to touch Jesus that day. If you read the Gospels, you'll see after that woman touched Jesus and she got her healing, lots and lots of people started touching Jesus. You'll read it throughout the Gospels. They just started touching him and they started getting healed because the word spread. Hey, if you just touch him, people will be healed. I'm going to ask my lovely model Dave to come to the front. Don't you reckon, look at Dave and I, we're actually kind of dressed the same colours today. Look at this, you look like a couple of magpies, really, when you look at it. Anyway, you robe yourself. Dave has on, thank you, Nalene, for this, has on a pressure. It's a really powerful truth that this woman, he's a, a lovely looking woman, isn't he, that day? <laughs> just while Dave stands there, let me just put this scripture up. The question I want to ask you this morning is, Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus? She just didn't see, this woman didn't see Jesus as the man from Nazareth. If you read scripture, the man from Nazareth amongst his home people, they said it's just the carpenter's son. He can't possibly have an answer for us. And the Bible records that he could do no great miracle amongst them because they just saw him as the man. But she didn't see Jesus, the man. She saw the Son of God, the promised Messiah. Go to Malachi and verse four, chapter 4 and verse 1. I'm positive she saw this, and she knew prophetically who she was looking at. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. Here's the bit. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. He will arise with healing in his wings. What you're seeing here is the talit, the prayer shawl. And around the edge of it is what's called the zitzit. It's here. And on it is written in Hebrew... A whole bunch of promises, covenant, and if you were a person, a rabbi, someone, a teacher in in that time, you would have on you the talit, and on, around the borders of the outside would be the zitzit, zit, where you would write on there the scriptures of the covenant, things that for you were the words that framed up your faith. And what would happen over time, and I don't have time to totally unpack this, but, but the Pharisees would get quite pompous about that. And, of course, the borders would become quite big. And the bigger the borders, of course, the more important that you were. Jesus would talk about it. You would really talked about the phylacteries. If you read the, the King James Version, their phylacteries have come too big. That's essentially the borders. They became puffed up with it. But Jesus wore this, and he also, around the outside, what are the words of the covenant? They are the promise of the, that the rabbi themselves is leaning on. It's the authority on which their life stands. It's the power on which they see their life through the covenant of God. And, and as they sit to pray, just hold this out for me. You'll see that when they pray, they pray. They put themselves under their prayer shawl and it becomes the wings under which they pray. So when Jesus arrives with healing under his wings, what he's actually saying is in the border of the words written in the covenant about Messiah is healing. And this woman saw that promise and said, this man is Messiah. If I touch the covenant words of this prayer shawl, I will be healed. So what she wasn't, she wasn't just talking about the cloak that she was touching. She was touching the covenant. She was touching the bit that she said, if he's Messiah, then that covenant will affect me, healing under his wings. It's why just, uh, thank you, Dave. Round of applause for Dave. It's why Isaiah 40 says, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, they'll mount up as wings as eagles. They will run and not go weary. They will mount up on the wings of eagles. If you wait on the Lord, you will mount up because your wings, your prayer life, your covenant, the words that God will speak into you in your prayer life that actually support the power of your faith will grow. Your wings are made of the words that God gives you by revelation in your prayer life. That's where you rise with strength. And you'll run and not weary and you'll walk and not grow faint. It's because the words inside you will carry you. Do you see? The wings. So she saw that and she came and she touched the hem of his garment. She was identifying him as Messiah and she was claiming that the son of righteousness that will rise with healing in his wings and God, I will take that healing today. And that's what she did. Who is the Jesus that you see? Jesus has the power to heal today. In this story, we see Jesus say, I felt power go out of me. I felt power go out of me. There is a tangible power in Jesus. He felt it go out of him. There is a real authority over sickness, over every name that is named, over every devil in hell, over every condition that wants to take your freedom prisoner, there is a name that is named that can unlock that particular prison because its power is far greater. Folks, it's not a contest between dark and light. The devil is not very powerful and there's an arm wrestle going on between God and the devil. It is a complete knockdown and it has been for 2,000 years. He is a defeated foe. God is the creator of all things. He is not running around saying, ooh, I hope the devil doesn't get it. He could care less. In fact, God uses the devil for his purposes to fulfill what he needs in the earth today. So don't think for a minute God's concerned about the devil. God's already written his future into his book. That's how unconcerned God is. And God says to his people, he says, you go and take dominion now on the earth. You go and take my name. When Jesus walked on the earth, he showed us his kingdom. And he said, I want to see people who will walk in the power of my kingdom. The kingdom simply means the king's domain. The king's domain. Jesus is the king of his kingdom. And we are the ambassadors. We are the princes and princesses of his kingdom. He is our king. But we are his royalty. His royal priesthood, the Bible says. So the domain of his kingdom and authority covers us. And under that, he says, take my name and go into the world and bring the kingdom. Hebrews 3 in verse 1 says this. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the divine calling. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. "'Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, "'Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, God, the Father, "'who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful "'in all his house. "'For this one, Jesus, has been counted worthy "'of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built "'the house has more honour than the house. "'For every house is built by someone But he who built all things is God. And Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Christ is son over his house, whose house we are. We are his house. We're part of his house. See, Jesus is our apostle and high priest. An apostle in that time was a sent one. An apostle was someone that the Greeks uh, used. It was a name that they coined for someone that would go in as an emissary when a kingdom had subdued another kingdom, when a nation had subdued another nation in the more modern times of the ancient times rather than killing every man, woman, child What they would do, which is one way, of course, of exerting your authority, the other way is you go in and you change that kingdom into the culture of the subduing kingdom. So you make that kingdom look like this kingdom. And the person that would go ahead of that was called the apostle. And the apostle would go in and they would basically set the culture in place. They'd call together the government that was there. And rather than killing everyone, they would actually subdue it and reculturize it. Jesus is our apostle. He has come from heaven. And he's come to earth and he said, I'm bringing the culture of my world into your world. He's on his father's business. He's praying apostolic prayer over the earth. Saying, on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. He's come up with a strategy to transform a conquered world now into the nature and the culture of heaven. And he's shown us what the kingdom looks like. He forgives sins. He heals those that are sick or diseased. He frees the prisoners. He sets the captives free. That's what the kingdom looks like. And so he says to us, come into my kingdom. Come in to where power and authority is over all sin and sickness. Matthew 10 and verse 7 says, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. One day the kingdom of God will be a physical reality on this earth. One day the kingdom of heaven will will be established on this earth. There will be a new heavens and a new earth, the Bible says. He will wipe away every tear from every eye. There will be no more death, no sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. The former things will have passed away. But in the meantime, the spiritual reality of that kingdom is here. And God says, enter in. Enter in. This morning, my prayer is that God will do a couple of things in our hearts. My prayer is, firstly, I think there'll be some here and your heart has become offended with God. You've said, God, I've asked and asked and asked and I feel as though you are not listening. And try as you will, but as I've been preaching, the Holy Spirit's knocked on your door and he said, I need you to forgive me. I want you to forgive me. Because if we hold that offence against God, God can't come to us. He can't bring his revelation. He can't bring his insights. He can't bring his understanding to help you keep walking forward. See, I I can't explain the mystery of your journey. But I know what we need to do to remain open to the hope of his calling. We can't reduce our logic to his logic and say, God, it doesn't make sense what you're doing. We have to find a place of release for God. And secondly, I want to pray for a group of people this morning. And you say, this morning, I need to be healed. I want to touch the hem of his garment this morning. I want to touch his heart. I want to touch his power. I want to be free. I want pain to stop. I want this condition that's in my body to go. And I'm asking Jesus this morning to set you free. There'll be others too, I think you'll want to come and stand in the stead of someone that you're praying for. They may not be here this morning, but you want to stand with them. We're going to do that in a minute. Could we just pray? Jesus, we invite your presence and your power to fill this place. Jesus, it's not by might or by power but it's by your spirit that things happen. It's when your anointing comes and fills us, fills your church, that this place becomes a place of healing and hope. God, it's your presence amongst us that sees that happen. Holy Spirit, we ask you that you would come and move amongst us this morning with great mercy and compassion and grace that the prayer that's on people's lives and on their hearts Father would be answered in the mighty powerful name of Jesus Amen I'm going to ask Izzy to um, sing over us a song this morning and uh, but as she does at the front if the prayer team could just come There's a whole bunch of cloth that we've had cut this morning. For you to be able to come and to grab this cloth, it's it's a symbol. What you're really doing as you come to grab this cloth is you're, by faith, you're taking hold of the power of the name of Jesus. You're saying, God, I need you. Maybe this morning you're saying, I want, Father, help me release the offense of my heart give me understanding again that I could my hope could be back in you again like it once was others of you say no I'm coming to get healed or I'm coming to grab this for someone I know these people are here to pray for you they've been praying into this this morning they, they, they've got the power and the presence of God on them come grab one of these cloths if you like go and find someone let them pray and agree with you while Lizzie sings
1: you hold my every moment you calm my raging seas you walk with me I trust in
0: I hope you've been blessed by this message from Gateway Baptist Church.
1: We're a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.